Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Grain by Train podcast for Grain Week 3. I'm Greg Northey. I'm joined by Milt Poirier of QGI Consulting. He manages the Ag Transport Coalition, a consortium of agriculture groups that produce data and reports on rail service and performance. Good to see you today, Milt. Hi, Greg. How are you? Pretty good. So we are into Grain Week 3 for the ATC report, so we'll touch quickly on that. And then continuing what we started uh on our last podcast, we'll look at the CP grain plan for this uh, current grain year. So week three, Milt, is in the books. Um, similar performance that we've been seeing early in the grain year. What did you see in the report this week? Well, I guess I would, uh, at a top level, describe it as continued improvement from CM um, and continued good performance from CP. Uh, CN came in with 86% order fulfillment, CP at 99. And for CN, that was basically the fourth consecutive week of improved performance. If we go all the way back to week 51, I think, of the last grain year, when they were in the uh, 50% or lower range, as they were still digging out from the uh, line outages in southern BC, They've climbed steadily and through the first three weeks of this grain year, uh, they've been above 80% each, each week, 81 in week one, 83 in week two, and 86 in week three. So uh, good start, um, you know, on the heels of what was a pretty bad July. Having said that, I would offer one caveat to uh, that piece of good news. If we look back at last year, the 2021 grain year, um, CN started that year with two of three weeks fulfilling 80% or more of cars ordered by shippers. So I wouldn't necessarily, you know, rush to look at the first three weeks of performance as necessarily a good indicator of, of what we might see later in the year. I don't want to, you know, dismiss the fact that a good start is a good start, but we should let uh, the grain year play out before we get too excited about it, I would say. CP, they just keep rolling along, you know, 99% this week, 100% last week, I think 100% or 99% the week before that. They're basically floating in that 99, 98, 100 range every week, week in and week out, and they've been doing that for much of the last three months. So they've, they've got it figured out. Uh, on the provincial side, just to touch base there, um, not a lot of difference from what we saw uh, at a system level for CN and CP. Uh, the one thing I would comment on uh, for CN specifically, the first two weeks, um, we saw a fair bit of variability uh, in performance across the individual provinces from CN. You know, they were hitting the 81, 83 mark in weeks one and two, but they couldn't seem to get performance, you know, good in all three provinces in the same week. So I would say that week three changed that a little bit. Um, and province to province performance was more even. Um, and everybody was above 80%. So, so that's a good sign when it's balanced like that across the geography and as well across individual corridors, which was the case in week three. Yeah, I think uh, we've been doing this long enough to know that you know, current performance does not uh, give an indication of future performance. It can definitely go south very quickly. One of the things um, 
that we've been tracking, especially in the early part of the year, is demand. Um, have you seen anything in the either this week or future weeks as to where demand is going as far as uh, the demand we're placing on the on the rail system? Well, based on the numbers that we can see so far, and right now we can see, uh, you know, what I would say our firm, particularly in CN's case, CP a little bit different because they've always got the dedicated train scenario in play, which can um, change demand levels week to week fairly dramatically sometimes as shippers make their decisions throughout the week. But overall, demand remains lower than last year, quite a bit lower, actually. Um, I think from memory through the first five weeks, CN is going to be more than 30% off of the trailing three-year average and even lower than that compared to last year, which as we know was higher than normal. And CP's numbers are even worse than that. They're probably headed towards 40 to 45% off of the trailing three-year average for the first five weeks of the grain year. So it, it doesn't look like it's improving, at least not in the near term, uh, based on what we can see. Yeah, and we've had some recent reports, uh, both Stats Canada and Agriculture Canada both come out with their, their forecasts for this, this uh, grain year, and they're, they're quite low. I mean, the exports are forecast to be total exports for Canada, around 36 million tons, which is uh, significantly lower than you know what we saw last year. And if those hold steady, it's going to be an interesting question as to, you know, what will happen with, with the rail system, obviously lower demand, you know, would, you know, you would think would lead to better performance, but yeah, you know, it's really uncertain because, uh, you know, the railways will have to adapt to that if, if they're seeing, um, such lower demand. I mean, what would you expect to see melt if we continue to see demand uh, continue at this level? Well, um, that's a good question. And it's often, you know, a misconception of uh, shippers and other folks who watch this industry in that uh, lower demand against what effectively amounts to a fixed level of capacity um, should result, one would think logically, in, in better service because there's more assets chasing, you know, less business. So you would think that car supply would be plentiful and there would be no problems in that respect. Unfortunately, what we do know and we have experienced um, repeatedly in the past is that railways adapt when um, demand is low. So they reduce car availability by placing cars in storage. I mean, if we look at uh, grain monitor reporting, which reports statistics on this, their most recent report, which is for the month of July of 2021, shows CN is already having more than 5,000 hopper cars in storage, and that's out of a fleet of 12,000. And CP already has, I think, something like 3,700 cars in storage out of a fleet of about 12,000 cars. So you can already see that you know they're starting to ratchet down the capacity equation based on you know, what they see as demand in the short term, intermediate term, and long term. Now, cars are one thing, but the more critical issue, which nobody seems to have any visibility on, is the issue of train crews. And that's really, if you recall, or if our listeners recall, 
um, what really bit CN last year, if I'm not mistaken, where they had problems recalling crews um, and through the spring of the prior grain year and the beginning of the last grain year really struggled because of a shortage of train crews. So if they are in fact reducing train crews, um, you know, that's gonna say that they have the ability to run fewer trains. And lastly, just to wrap it up, I would say equally important to how big or how small the grain crop will be and the resultant grain supply that looks to get moved is what's happening with the rest of the railway's traffic base that's non-grain. So are other commodities coming back? Is demand in those sectors going to be strong? Because that will have a big impact on what the railways choose to do, not with hopper cars, because they're largely you know, grain oriented, um, but with train crews and with locomotives. So it's, we know grain's going to be lower. We know the railways are adjusting already. What we don't know, or at least I don't know, is what's the rest of their business look like and what kind of decisions might that lead to? Yeah, the last point's an interesting one. The, the, the visibility we have on the grain sector is, is very unique, obviously, and, but we're one segment of the railway's business. And the impact on that and, and what that means for overall visibility and how it can help us as a grain sector is a, is a, is a really good, I think, question and something I think we'll, we'll look at in, in future podcasts. But this, um, you know, this, this lower demand and these expected export numbers, uh, it leads us fairly well into the next topic, which is the CP grain plan. And, and it kind of makes a, gives a good reason for why, A, you would want to have a plan so you can adjust for, uh, you know, drastic changes like this, but also to give a sense of how you're going to handle the, the grain that comes at you. And so um, let's take a look at the CP grain plan. Um, you've taken a look at it. Uh, what's similar to how we looked at CN last week, or last, last podcast, how, uh, how did the CP plan uh, look to you? Well, CP, like CN, you know, puts this plan out at the start of each grain year because they're mandated to by the federal government. And once again, much like CN, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago in our last podcast, have followed for the most part, uh, a pretty uh, tried and true formula, which they've used in the past. Part one is they tout their successes from the prior year and dutifully ignore any shortcomings they may have had. I guess I could, you could make the case that CP had few shortcomings because they had a really good year last year, apart from a little bit of a dip in the winter, but even at that, it wasn't significant. Secondly, they spend a great amount of time talking about the capital investments that they are making uh, and have made and will continue to make um, that are targeted at improving the customer experience, specifically for grain, at least in this context. And for CP this year, they spent a lot of time talking about, you know, the hopper car fleet renewal. Uh, they say that they have 4,700 new hopper cars in place now and expect to have 6,000 in place by the end of 2021. Now, just for clarification, that's a mix of cars that they're purchasing and cars that they are leasing, but they all are touted to be more modern, larger capacity cars that fit their new model. 
They also talk uh, quite extensively about track investments they're making, a lot of it focused on the lengthening of sidings on their main uh, lines in their major corridors like Vancouver uh, to accommodate longer trains. And for grain, that specifically is something they call their HEP train, H-E-P, which is high efficiency product train, which they are very big on right now. They see it as being the future of grain and customers are now starting to uh, build out their uh, infrastructure at their country elevators to be able to handle these um, trains, which are designed to be 8,500 feet long, which is a long train, um, particularly to put into a siding or into a customer location for loading. Uh, I think CP says in their plan that they expect by this time next year or the end of this year that something like 40% of the elevators that they serve will have the trackage in place to be able to accommodate these trains. So this is a big, this is a big push for, for CP. I would say it's equivalent to, you know, the, the, the all-in push they had given uh, back in 2014-15 when they introduced the uh, dedicated train uh, concept. With respect to what they plan to do this year, um, they're not uh, too detailed, uh, which is not really a surprise, but they do talk about the number of cars that they expect to uh, spot on a weekly basis throughout the grain year. And they've pretty much set it, you know, uh, comparable levels to CN, which is normally the case. So they talk about with railway supplied cars, um, 6,000 cars a week, August to December, uh, 4350 cars per week, January to March, which is their quote unquote winter operations period. Um, and then 6,000 cars per week, again, April to July. Um, those are, I think, nominal bump ups from, from prior years. Um, the one thing I would comment here though is, and, and it's something that we focus on in ATC uh, as a measure of demand, which we're gonna have to probably start to you know, think a little bit about going forward with the increased capacity of the new cars that are coming on. So 6,000 cars for CP a week this year is going to be, is going to represent more grain tonnage than 6,000 cars per week for CP would have last year or in prior years, just by virtue of the fact that so many of the cars in the fleet now are new and have a higher uh, carrying capacity. So same number of cars, more tons. Um, so, you know, how to assess demand, uh, looking at car counts, probably not going to be the best way going forward. With respect to uh, grain supply and your comment uh, earlier about the latest projections for grain exports, CP does not say a lot in this respect in their plan. They do talk about the fact that they expect the volumes to be lower than last year and lower than historical averages, but they don't really make any definitive statements as to what their expectations are for how much grain they're going to move. And if you look at what they're talking about in their car spotting plan at 6,000, 4,350, and 6,000 for those three periods respectively, they're kind of putting out there. Uh, a planned capacity that would be for a normal grain supply. Um, so basically they're saying we're, we've got enough to handle enough, uh, the same amount of grain as we have in the past. We expect it to be lower, but we don't yet have a clear view. And by the way, 
this can change a lot as the harvest starts to come in and they're right in that regard. So they're kind of uh, keeping their cards close to their vest on that one. Last comment I would make uh, when I think about CP's plan versus CN's plan, both of which we've talked about, um, probably the biggest difference that I see between the two is I find that CP and their plan uh, spends a lot less time putting caveats around what kind of performance they can achieve in the upcoming grain year than CM does. If you'll recall when we talked about CM, you know, there's a fair section of their plan that talks about how these are all of the things that could go wrong. And by the way, when they do go wrong, they really won't be CM's fault. So be aware. CP doesn't do so much of that, almost none actually in this plan, which I thought was kind of refreshing. Yeah, I would agree on that last point. It was, uh, uh, the plans were just laid out. Uh, I mean, very similar style, I guess, obviously, and what they're expected from the legislation, but, um, but yeah, just, just laid out much, much differently and much more focused on, I, I think the, the customer experience and, and just what they expect of their performance versus, um, versus like you said, putting a caveat on everything and, and, and kind of, um, um, wiping their hands of any, anything that could go wrong. So yeah, pretty uh, interesting report. But as you say, same weaknesses that we had before where it's really tough to gauge it. And obviously, I think going forward with the demand so low, it's going to be even more interesting to see how, how a plan like this will, will stack up in, in, the, in the weeks ahead. Um, definitely some interesting things on there on their hydrogen locomotive technology. I thought that was quite interesting. And obviously, they do have a shout out to the ATC in their report. So I always give kudos to, uh, to the railways for doing that. But uh, well, thanks a lot, Milt. If you have nothing else to add, I think we'll wrap up our Grain by Train podcast for this week. For those of you who would like to see the reports, you can go to www.agtransportcoalition.com and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.